Now, you can turn in your Bibles uh, tonight to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. The title of our teaching this weekend is, It's Not Possible, or Is It? It's Not Possible, or Is It? Now, look on the overhead, and I want to ask you a question. This is a before and after il the illustration. It, is that the same person that you see right there? Yes, it is. And the next thing you see is this. You know this very well. If something changes, just shout it out at your homes, wherever you're at. If something changes, something changes. Now, what you just saw in that picture was a physical change. The teeth, the alignment. I don't know if they had implants or just the alignment. But that young girl changed drastically physically. But today, in our teaching, you will see one of the greatest spiritual changes and uh, basically in a, a, the most likely person that would never, ever change and become a follower of Jesus Christ. So you're going to see why that happened. You, if you know the story, you'll see it, and we're going to look at it. Now, I want to just say a couple things to you. Some of you who are watching, you need your life changed today. And as you listen to the teaching, listen, because God is going to speak hope into your life. And there's one more thing that we have to make sure we continue on the mission of Jesus Christ. Most Christ followers know a person we think would never, ever become a Christ follower. But as you listen to the teaching, I want to challenge you. Let's change our thinking. Remember, it's not possible. Or is it? And you're going to see nothing is impossible with God. So as you move on through the weekend, the next week, and that person's name comes to your heart, just begin praying because you're going to see a supernatural change in a person tonight. Now, we start at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, as we move on in the book of Acts starting here, other than Peter a little while, everything pretty much as we move through will be focused on Paul as we finish the book of Acts. So it's good and important to understand what is the background of this guy, Saul, who becomes Paul. And you'll hear me talk about both of them. Start Saul, and eventually when he becomes a believer, his name is Paul. Saul was born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia. It was located in Asia Minor. Saul's father was a Roman citizen. So, of course, naturally, Saul became a Roman citizen by birth. Now, while a young man in Tarsus, he was, he became used to the Greek culture and really could speak Greek very, very fluently. He came to Jerusalem as a young man, and studied under one of the most respected 
rabbis of the day, Gamaliel. His Jewish credentials were impeccable, and he became zealous in the Jewish faith. So I put a little summary for you so you'd understand where he's coming from. Take a look on the overhead. Saul was, by birth, a Jew. By citizenship, a Roman. And by religious education, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Now, what does that verse we just read mean? That Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Well, to do that, we have to go back to Acts chapter 8. I'll read you this passage. And Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval to his death. On that day, as he was stoned to death, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. But Saul, now listen, Saul began to destroy the church, the New Testament church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, why was Saul reacting that way? Later in the book of Acts, he tells us exactly why. Let me read it to you. It's Acts 26, verse 9 through 11. Here's what Saul, who now is Paul, writing this says. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, I did exactly that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Yes, kill them, kill them. Saul goes on. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So you can see the zeal Saul had against Christians. He hated them. He was a sinner. He was doing things that were not right at all. Now, notice it said, as it started, Paul used to believe that these followers of Jesus were part of a, he would call it a dangerous sect in those days that needed to be eliminated because he was afraid it would destroy the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion. Here's a simple summary of Saul. Saul's goal was to destroy every Christ follower he could find and the whole New Testament church. By the way, you should be able to read into that. That wasn't just Saul's goal. It was Satan's goal. You see, Saul had been deceived as a religious man by Satan. And Satan's goal of steal, kill, and destroy became the exact thing that Saul wanted to do. He was a terrible sinner. He absolutely didn't believe in anything of Jesus. 
Now, go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, you might want to circle that in your Bible, the way, whether men, listen, whether men or women didn't care, he might take them as prisoners and back to Jerusalem for trial and punishment. Now, Paul had watched this new Jesus movement. In those days, it was known as the way. He watched it expand. Remember, it started with 120 in the upper room. Tens of thousands were believers. Now, when Philip went to Samaria, another thousand or two people at least became Christians. So Paul knew it was a huge threat to Judaism. So he went after men and women to take them prisoners as much as he could and take them back to Jerusalem. Now, during this time, look at what I wrote. Christ followers at this time were known simply by two words. The way, the way. We kind of think that came from Jesus' statement that you knew well, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So he knew that, and he knew that somehow that was connected with Jesus, who he hated. Now, look at verse 3. As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, we know from one account in Acts that Saul says, or actually Paul says, it was at noontime when the sun is the brightest. But this light was supernaturally bright all the way from heaven. You know, millions, billions of miles, and the light came right down. Now, what you're going to see here is God is making the first move. Jesus is in heaven. And he gets Saul's attention through this supernatural light. He gets his attention. Now, do you know, as we go through this, as you live as a Christ follower, God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to get our attention. That's because he loves us. Now, watch what happened. Damascus was about 140 miles. It was north of Jerusalem. It would have taken Saul at least a week to get there. And, and he made the journey. Some people think, well, he made it on a horse. No, not a mule. No, he made it by foot. He walked that whole time for a week. Now, Damascus, the reason he's going there is, over time, you remember what happened in Jerusalem? The Christians were being persecuted. So many of them says, I'm leaving Jerusalem. And they went to Damascus to try to save their lives. The problem was, Saul knew that had happened. So he's going to go, as you already heard, he's going to go to out of the country of Israel. And he's going to go to Damascus. And, and basically what he's going to do there, he's going to know that there's Christians there. And he's going to go there and all of a sudden go, gotcha, gotcha. Thought you could get away? No, no, no. I'm here to persecute you, even in Damascus. Now, 
all of a sudden, when this light came, everything went stop. Saul goes, okay, what, where is that light from? What's happening? Well, when you see what's happening, here's, let me tell you up front what Jesus' solution was. Here it is. God is going to stop Saul's mission of death and change his mission to sharing the gospel of Jesus to give people the new birth experience. Now look at verse 4 and 5. When that light came, he fell to the ground, shocked by that light, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? <clears throat> Here's Saul's answer. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Here was Jesus' response. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, to persecute Christians, Christ followers, is to persecute Jesus himself. He's trying to think to himself, well, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? I never even met you. What are you talking about? But we know through the scripture, the Bible reminds us that every Christ follower is part of the body of Christ. So we're family. Christ is our head. We are the members that make up this body. So when you persecute a Christian, you're persecuting, persecuting Jesus himself. Now, it's hard to imagine how this interplay of back and forth talking to Jesus, who's in heaven. It's, it's difficult for us to even understand. Remember what he believed. He believed Jesus died on the cross, and he was a dead man, and he was in some grave somewhere in Jerusalem. Remember, the tomb was empty, but the rumor was, ah, he's dead, we buried him somewhere else, the disciples took the body, and he's, so he absolutely believes and, but now what is he doing? What is he doing? Let me, let me show you kind of what he's doing. He, he's on his back. He's on his back. And he's looking up into heaven. And he's talking to someone who's dead. But he isn't dead. Jesus is alive. And he is in heaven where he said he was going to. What do you think that's doing to Saul? Whoa. You got my attention. So he's beginning to think, uh-oh, something in my life isn't right. It just isn't right. Now, here's what you have to think is going through Saul's mind. Okay, from heaven, there's a light. Knock me down. I'm down on my, on my back. I'm looking up and I'm having a communication with somebody that I said was dead. He's there. He knows my name. Now, what is Paul thinking? Okay, what's God going to do to me? What's Jesus going to do to me now? He, he thought he had been working for God. Seriously. He was a Jewish person who believed in Yahweh. He, he thought he was working for God. But now when he's talking to Jesus, who's alive, resurrected from the grave, went to heaven... He has to face the fact that he's actually all this time been working against God. Here's a point that I want you to see. It's huge. Look at this. 
A person can be very sincere in their beliefs and yet be totally wrong. That's why we have all these different beliefs all through the world. Sex, cults, all kind of things that worship idols and those things just kind of like it was in the Old Testament. All these things that are true. You see, they mean well, but they're in darkness. They don't know the truth. That's exactly where we find Saul. He, he's a believer in God, but not in Jesus. He's in the dark. Now, Saul knew, there's three words I'm going to use right here. Justice. Mercy and grace. Saul knew he deserved justice. In other words, getting what he deserved. Whatever Jesus is going to do to him, well, he deserves it. Because he's 100% wrong. And he's been killing the family of God. Second, he's filled with sin. He was a murderer of so many Christians and he hated the one he's talking to, Jesus. He's probably asking in his mind, I know I, I, I'm going to get justice somehow. We gave justice, baby. We gave justice. And I just found it all around. I took care of those people, except I was wrong the whole time. Even Stephen, when I clapped that they were stoning him, I was wrong. Stephen was right. Jesus was the Messiah. So the second thing he's thinking, could Jesus give me some mercy? Not getting what I deserved? I'll take that. But here's what he discovers. Saul knew he didn't deserve to be forgiven. There's no way Jesus is going to forgive him. But Saul noticed something. He didn't make the first move. God made the first move with the lightning, the lightning coming right from heaven, and speaking to him his personal name. So Jesus takes the first step for one reason. He doesn't know what it is. It's to change the life of Saul from a horrible sinner to a believer in Jesus. This encounter with Saul on his back looking up is called a picture of of grace, of grace. Let me show you two things. It's good to remind ourselves. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Many people will call it like this. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. There isn't a person that I'm talking to, there isn't a person that's a Christ follower can brag about something you or I did so that we became a Christian. Not a chance. No one can earn their salvation. It's a gift from God. And, you know, the world keeps thinking the same old lie from Satan. If you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. Impossible. Impossible. Only forgiven people go to heaven. You, you will never get there. And so he has to get that through because really Saul is big into the law. So he's got to get it through. Grace came when Jesus came. Now, how do I know that this salvation is a gift from God? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God loved us before we knew him. The Bible says 
that Jesus died for us while we were yet in our sins. That's exactly a picture of Saul. He made fun of Jesus dying on the cross. But he was dying while we were still in our sins. Here's a huge point for some of you. If you are a Christ follower today, it's because you personally received God's gift of grace. Gift of grace. Getting a gift we never deserve. No Christian. It's a gift from God. Now, why is God a God of grace? Why, is, why isn't he a God of justice or mercy even? Why, why is he a God of grace? Here's the answer. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not willing that any perish, but should come to repentance. See, that's God. He wants everybody to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ so he can spend it time in heaven. And Saul doesn't know it, but he's going to be one that's going to expand the kingdom of God like nobody ever saw before. Now, Paul, when he finally got through with this, he would write so much. If you just take a look at the books he writes in the New Testament, like just like two-thirds of the New Testament books, when you watch him, he's always talking about one thing. You know what? Grace. 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 Let me read it to you. Acts 20, 24. However, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He could never get that out of his heart. He knew he would have been killed, dead, gone to hell forever, except for that amazing encounter he had with Jesus from heaven, Jesus making the first move. Now, when Saul received grace from Jesus, he wanted to share that as he moved on and started churches, planted churches, moved out. He wanted the truth. He wanted to share the truth that, look, if God forgave me, he can forgive you of anything. I don't care about your background. Jesus didn't care about my background. He forgave every sin, everything I did that was totally wrong. And so he loved this. And this is why he wrote, you know this verse by heart, Ephesians 2 eight. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Saul wrote that himself. Why would he do that? He wants to say to people that he's witnessing to, well, I'll never be able to come to Christ. You're, you're such an amazing God uh, guy, Saul, man. Look at your wisdom. You preach the gospel. You know Jesus. You know the word, whatever. I don't even know about God. I don't think there even is a God. And God, I have no chance to come. He goes, no, 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 no. Forget it. Remember in Ephesians, he talks about this? We, once we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's everybody. And then when you get down a few more verses, but God. What is God but God? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We were changed forever. It's, it's called the before and the after. I'm not talking about a facelift. Some of you ladies, just be quiet. Some of you guys, you like muscles. Who is that guy up there? Well, I'll have that in heaven, but not here. But before and after, spiritually, 
is a sinner who's saved by, hello, grace. That's it. That's it. Now, what this says in verse Acts 9-6, I'm going to read the New, James, uh, New King James Version. Look at it. I have it up there for you. So trembling and astonished, he said basically, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, look at the conversation from heaven. You know, we just saw this rocket go up today. And they got all this conversation back and forth. It was a beautiful thing. It was fantastic. This is Jesus in heaven. He doesn't need any of that. He's just talking right to him. And, and Saul is talking right back to him. He says, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise, get off your back, and go into the city. And you will be told, watch this, what you must do. Whoa. Now, notice in that verse again, what does Saul say to Jesus? He doesn't say Jesus. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see it on the overhead what that means. Saul calls Jesus Lord. In the Greek, it's kurios, which simply means the owner and the master. So what do you see happening right there? Saul is submitting to Jesus as his master. Both of these are a great sign of true conversion. Now, let me ask you a question. I asked myself this this week as I was studying. Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord, the owner and master of your life? See, lots of people just want to have Jesus as a Savior. Woo, my sins are forgiven on the way to heaven, baby. Terrific. No, that's not the way it works. Jesus said, you got to follow me. You have to become like me. So just look at your life. I have to look at my life the same way. I want Jesus to be my Savior. He already is when I get saved. But as the discipleship moves, he has to be my Lord. He's my owner. We, our body is not our own. We are owned by Jesus. And we want the master. And that's why you see Saul, who never probably spoke like this before. What do you want me to do? In other words, I'll do it. You're my boss now. There's a salvation you can see for him. Now, this command is going to require one thing. Saul's trust doesn't even know Jesus, really, just having this experience now, and obedience. Once in the city, he will learn the next step. Just like I talked to you so many times, God often just gives us one step. Go into the city. That's it. Then Jesus said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Just the first step. So here it is. Now, he shares some details later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26. You see it on the overhead. I wanted to put it up there for a purpose. I'll read it slow. It'll be probably on two screens. Here it is. Now, get up. He's, he's, he's requoting what Jesus said to him. Now, get up and stand on your feet. See, he was down. He was not a horse. He fell down. I have appeared to you, watch the reason, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people, the dead religious Jewish, 
I will not only rescue you from your own people, but from the Gentiles. So you can see right there, there's going to be a moving in this life, and you'll see more next week as we finish this. The Gentiles weren't really a, basically witnessed to yet, the Jews first. Then we had the Samaritans, kind of a mixture. But he's saying to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles so that you would open their eyes from the darkness, which is sin, to light, which is salvation, and from the power of Satan. Remember, an unbeliever is under the power of Satan. If you're not a Christian tonight, you say, oh, I'm not under the power of Satan. Sorry. Yes, you are. So was I. We all were. Notice. And to, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith in me. Now, verse 7 tells us what really happened with the guys that were traveling with Saul. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't recognize what that was about. They didn't see anybody. Now, they know he was having a conversation, or they're thinking, man, he is really off his rocker here. Look at verse 8. So what's Saul going to do with Jesus saying, go into Damascus? Here it is. Saul got up from the ground. Now, this is a shocker. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, I want you to pay attention to me for a moment. Saul had been walking in spiritual darkness. He had great sight. He had no problem, physical sight. He had been walking in spiritual darkness. But now that he's become a Christian, he is walking in spiritual light, but physically, he's in the darkness. It's kind of a before and after to remind him there was a change in his life. And he's got a reason. He can't do his own thing now. He's got to be helped into Damascus. Now, isn't it interesting? Look at this verse. Paul wrote this later. Look what he writes in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness. In other words, in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. What is that? That's his personal testimony. Over and over and over again. Darkness to light. Before, after. Grace. Deserve justice. I get grace. Before and after. Now, look at verse 9. For three days he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. So Saul heads into Damascus. A total different plan than he ever thought. Remember what his whole goal was? He's heading to Damascus to get those Christians get them tied up, kill a few, bring back, get them punished. Now, that's all gone. You see, when God changes us, he gives us different plans. It's a whole different plan. He doesn't know. He's blind. He's waiting three days. He doesn't eat. He fasts for those times. Now, God has given him that time to begin to reflect. I won't talk about it this weekend, but I will talk about next weekend. What do you think Paul excuse me, Saul, who's going to become Paul, what do you think he's praying during those three days? It'd be interesting just to talk about 
Wonder what he was really saying to God. Now, he's no longer ruling his life because he's obeying God. He's submitted to Jesus, his owner and his master. And he also realizes the only reason he got there was the grace of God. God changed his evil plans, and you're going to see, into great plans. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, while Saul is fasting and praying, can't see, God has another plan. Now, this to me is the supernatural picture of our God. Here's, watch my hands, here's Saul. He's going to Damascus. He's sitting there for three days. He's sitting right there for three days. God in the background, watch me, is talking to a young man named Ananias. And he's begin to talk to him. Now, Saul, eventually Paul, is a scholar. He's brilliant. He's everything. Over here is Ananias. He's just an ordinary believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'll see he's scared out of his mind. And God has a plan for him. Do you know what? After this, we never hear of him again. We never see of him again. But did exactly what God wanted him to do. I'm sure he served God. But here we go. Watch what happens. Here's, here's Saul here. He's there. He can't see. He's waiting three days. Here's Ananias. And watch the, watch the thing that he has because he's going to get a vision from God. Take a look at this. By the way, I want you to write this. God loves ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's, by the way, if you have somebody next to you, just say to them, you're ordinary because we're all just ordinary. The one that's great is God. He's supernatural. Notice that as I read this verse, look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. God knew his name. He had already planned this. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Now, different than Saul, what's he respond? Yes, Lord. He's not just a person that has a Savior. He has a Lord. His name is Jesus. So that vision comes. Acts 22 says, this guy, Ananias, is a devout believer. He's respected highly. He's not a deacon. He's not an apostle. He's simply a normal Christ follower. Now, he's sensitive to the voice because he says, yes, Lord, what do you need in this amazing vision he has from God? Supernatural, obviously. Verse 11, then the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul because he is praying. I love that. God already knows what he's doing. He's praying. He knows that's there. So he gives direction. You know, notice in this verse 11, this isn't the updated version of the Bible. He didn't say, get your Google out, get the map, and I'll show you how to get there. No, you're going to watch what he does. He gives him exactly the, the instructions. Now, verse 12. In a vision, he has seen a man. Now, this is, this member over here is Saul. He's by himself. Notice it says, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, he has a vision. We got two visions. 
But good news is coming. Notice the specific instructions. Go to the house of Judas who lives in, in that street. Notice that God has given a confirming vision to Saul. He knows that there's a man coming. You know, this guy, he's never met Ananias. Ananias has never really met Saul, but you're going to see he's afraid. Watch this. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man. In fact, he was just on the television news tonight. This guy is a killer. And he said, all the harm he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. And really, you want me to go one-on-one -on -one with this guy? Verse 14, and he goes on. And he says, and he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who can call your name. Hello, God. I'm one of them. Really? You want me to go? Now, Saul has a dangerous reputation, of course, in Damascus. And Ananias knows the plan of Saul to do exactly what he'd heard about. He's not refusing to go, but he's asking God, did I hear you correctly? Do you know, when we hear God speak to us, and he does, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He speaks to us. Normally, he speaks to us through the word of God. And then he speaks through the Holy Spirit, those inner promptings. And, of course, you're seeing here that he can speak through visions. And he can speak through other Christians. So Ananias is saying, did I hear you correctly? Now, why would he say that? Because he's a believer and he knows this. There's lots of voices out there. Satan is a great deceiver. Satan is a great deceiver, and he can deceive us. And he's wondering, is, that, is this vision and go to see him like I'm going to get killed? Is that from, uh, it ain't for me. Is that from you, God, really? Or is that from Satan? Now, when you see that happening, watch this. Um, when a person has this going, he's probably thinking in his mind, <laughs> okay, that's got to be God. That's got to be God. So he's going to do one thing. I want to know your will, God. And so this, he simply does this. I know, God, that's what you want me to do. Now, how does he know that? Watch verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, this is his assurance. This man is my chosen instrument. And now he's thinking, really? To carry my name <clears throat> before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him, interesting, how much he must suffer for my name. So there's basically the will of God, the purpose that God is bringing Saul into Paul because he's going to use him to expand the kingdom of God in a way like no other we see in the New Testament. Do you know what that says here? God already had a plan for Saul. Saul didn't know it. Ananias didn't know it. But God had a plan for him. And now God has a plan for Ananias. He's going to strengthen him. He's going to use him when he never thought this could happen. Now, notice, sometimes you and I, and I'll develop this more next week, look at this next statement. God has a specific plan for every Christ follower, for your life. Now, if you're not a Christian, oh, he's got a plan for you, but his first plan is to become a Christian. But he won't have a plan for you until you become a Christian. That's what happened to 
Saul. He had a plan for him from the beginning, but he never served Christ. He never submitted his life. Now that he has, aha, the plan I have for you, you didn't know it, but it's been in my mind from the day you were born. Now, how do I know his plans for us? Every one of us, you know this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you plans of hope and a future. Now look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. How do you think Ananias went into the house? Hey, I'm here. Did you have a dream about me, please, hopefully? Well, maybe I would do that for sure. But he kind of stepped out in faith because he knows God had already spoke to him a confirmation. Yes, I told you. Here's what I want you to do. So he went into the house and he placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the robe as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldly, Ananias obeys God. He goes and he places his hand on Saul. And basically, you know, when you see that, he knows this is Saul. And look in that verse. When he comes in to the house, look what it says there. Look at verse 17. Placing his hands on Saul, he said to Saul, now this is the Balmer translation. I don't know why I'm here to speak to a murderer and an angry man, but no, that's not what he says. When he puts his hand on Saul, you know what he says to him? Brother, you're part of our family. I can't believe it, but you're part of our family. You're my brother. We have the same father. We're sons and daughters of God. Now, he recognized that he's a believer. Another proof that Saul had already been born again. Now, that's why the Bible says this. By the way, Paul wrote this too. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a believer, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Saul, the old is going to be gone. And the new has come. There we go again, before and after. He's a perfect picture of that. Remember, Ananias and I have come to do two things. Open your blinded eyes. Remember, physically, he could see before. But now he's spiritually blind. But now he has physical and spiritual perfect sight. Then he said, I'm here to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would he do that? Who is the role model for that? Jesus. When he came, was water baptized, he was filled with the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit, and he ministered in the Spirit. So he knows that's going to happen. Can I just remind you, you and I will never fill God's, fill, fulfill God's plan, and that's we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how much, how much Paul writes about the Holy Spirit? Just go to Ephesians chapter 5. You'll see it. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we can't finish the purpose that God has for us. So that's why God said to Ananias, put your hands on him, pray for him, that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's healed supernaturally. Look at verse 19. 
So immediately something like scales fell from his eyes so he could see again. He got up, was baptized in water, and after taking Siphon, he regained his strength and spent some several days, and we'll talk about this next week, uh, with the disciples in Damascus. Now, remember what our title is this whole week. It is, is it, it's not possible, or is it? The answer, yes. All things are possible with God. Take a look at this. No person is beyond the reach of God's grace. If anyone would have been beyond the reach, that would have been Saul. But no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Here's what Jesus told us. Luke 1.37. For nothing is impossible with God. That's why you and I want to be praying for our neighbors and friends and relatives that you think, well, just never will happen. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Nothing's impossible with God. Be inviting them to our services, even online. Just talking to them. Don't push them. Pray for them. Because nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing. Now, today we saw Saul had a personal encounter with Jesus that changed his whole life. God's grace gave Saul, who eventually will be Paul, a brand new start in his life. Some of you who are watching from locally or uh, out of the country or different states, wherever, you have learned a few things about God. Nothing's impossible with God. Like Saul, some of you are ready to ask God to make the biggest change in your life. You may know about God, but you don't know God personally. The only way you can know God personally is have a relationship with Jesus Christ, becoming your Savior first and then your Lord. Now, the only way to be forgiven of your sins, you know, is to ask Jesus Christ to come. Only forgiven people go to heaven. You don't have to worry about your sins. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about any of that. When Saul came, I'm sure he repented. We'll see more of that next week in his prayers too. And God just forgave him all of his sins. He got a clean slate to start over brand new. That's grace. He didn't deserve it. And I just want to challenge you. You can put your trust and faith in God in Jesus, just like Saul did. And you will be born again. You will have a brand new start in your life. And you will have the guarantee of going to heaven forever. And one more thing. Some of you used to follow God. But you kind of got off track. And you backslid. It's time for you to come back to God. You've been miserable. I know you won't admit it to a lot of people, but inside you know you lost the peace, you lost the joy, you lost the excitement of following Jesus Christ. Well, I know what happens because I've been doing this for many, many, many years. When a person walks away from God and gets on another road doing their own thing, Satan will always come back and condemn you. And here's what he's been saying to you. God will never forgive you. Man, you're going to get justice. He will never forgive you of your sins. Let me remind you of one thing. Satan is a liar. So tonight, 
I'm going to pray a prayer for those who have never come to Christ and you want to become a Christian tonight and you want to have a before and after in your life. And for those of you that need to make a recommitment, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Just pray that prayer. God's grace will apply to your life just like a person that has never come because you're going to do one thing. You're going to repent and you're going to ask God to again, once again, uh, God, I'm putting my faith in you. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I want you to receive God's free gift of salvation. Paul wrote this verse as well. Look at this verse. That if you confess with your mouth, it's exactly what Saul did. Jesus is what? Lord, not just my Savior. I will follow him. He's my owner. He's my boss. And believe in your heart. Watch what you have to believe. That God raised him from the dead. Exactly what Paul said. No way. Now he goes, "Ah, wait, I was wrong. You will be saved. If you want your sins forgiven and know that you will have eternal life in heaven, bow your head and quietly say this prayer wherever you're at. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And right now, I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Please come in and change my life. I want a life that changed radically just like Saul. A brand new slate, a brand new beginning. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. And today I receive your gift of salvation. And I look forward to a life of freedom and forgiveness, security, purpose, and hope. And I know it's because of your grace. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Bibles uh, tonight to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. The title of our teaching this weekend is It's Not Possible or Is It? It's Not Possible or Is It? Now, look on the overhead and I want to ask you a question. This is a before and after the illustration. Is that the same person that you see right there? Yes, it is. And the next thing you see is this. You know this very well. If something changes, just shout it out at your homes, wherever you're at. 
If something changes, something changes. Now, what you just saw in that picture was a physical change. The teeth, the alignment. I don't know if they had implants or just the alignment. But that young girl changed drastically physically. But today, in our teaching, you will see one of the greatest spiritual changes in the basically in a, a, the most likely person that would never, ever change and become a follower of Jesus Christ. So you're going to see why that happened. You, if you know the story, you'll see it, and we're going to look at it. Now, I want to just say a couple things to you. Some of you who are watching, you need your life changed today. And as you listen to the teaching, listen, because God is going to speak hope into your life. And there's one more thing that we have to make sure we continue on the mission of Jesus Christ. Most Christ followers know a person we think would never, ever become a Christ follower. But as you listen to the teaching, I want to challenge you. Let's change our thinking. Remember, it's not possible. Or is it? And you're going to see nothing is impossible with God. So as you move on through the weekend, the next week, and that person's name comes to your heart, just begin praying because you're going to see a supernatural change in a person tonight. Now, we start at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, as we move on in the book of Acts starting here, other than Peter a little while, everything pretty much as we move through will be focused on Paul as we finish the book of Acts. So it's good and important to understand what is the background of this guy, Saul, who becomes Paul. And you'll hear me talk about both of them. Starts Saul, and eventually when he becomes a believer, his name is Paul. Saul was born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia. It was located in Asia Minor. Saul's father was a Roman citizen. So, of course, naturally, Saul became a Roman citizen by birth. Now, while a young man in Tarsus, he was, he became used to the Greek culture and really could speak Greek very, very fluently. He came to Jerusalem as a young man and studied under one of the most respected rabbis of the day, Gamaliel. His Jewish credentials were impeccable, and he became zealous in the Jewish faith. So I put a little summary for you so you'd understand where he's coming from. Take a look on the overhead. Saul was by birth, a Jew. By citizenship, a Roman. And by religious education, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Now, what does that verse we just read mean? That Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Well, to do that, we have to go back to Acts chapter 8. I'll read you this passage. And Saul was there 
at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval to his death. On that day, as he was stoned to death, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. But Saul, now listen, Saul began to destroy the church, the New Testament church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, why was Saul reacting that way? Later in the book of Acts, he tells us exactly why. Let me read it to you. It's Acts 26, verse 9 through 11. Here's what Saul, who now is Paul, writing this says. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, I did exactly that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Yes, kill them, kill them. Saul goes on. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So you can see the zeal Saul had against Christians. He hated them. He was a sinner. He was doing things that were not right at all. Now, notice it said, as it started, Paul used to believe that these followers of Jesus were part of a, he would call it a dangerous sect in those days that needed to be eliminated because he was afraid it would destroy the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion. Here's a simple summary of Saul. Saul's goal was to destroy every Christ follower he could find and the whole New Testament church. By the way, you should be able to read into that. That wasn't just Saul's goal. It was Satan's goal. You see, Saul had been deceived as a religious man by Satan. And Satan's goal of steal, kill, and destroy became the exact thing that Saul wanted to do. He was a terrible sinner. He absolutely didn't believe in anything of Jesus. Now, go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, you might want to circle that in your Bible, the way, whether men, listen, whether men or women didn't care, he might take them as prisoners and back to Jerusalem for trial and punishment. Now, Paul had watched this new Jesus movement. In those days, it was known as the way. He watched it expand. Remember, it started with 120 in the upper room. Tens of thousands were believers. Now, when Philip went, 
to Samaria. Another thousand or two people at least became Christians. So Paul knew it was a huge threat to Judaism. So he went after men and women to take them prisoners as much as he could and take them back to Jerusalem. Now, during this time, look at what I wrote. Christ followers at this time were known simply by two words. The way, the way. We kind of think that came from Jesus' statement that you knew well, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So he knew that, and he knew that somehow that was connected with Jesus, who he hated. Now, look at verse 3. As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, we know from one account in Acts that Saul says, or actually Paul says, it was at noontime when the sun is the brightest. But this light was supernaturally bright all the way from heaven. You know, millions, billions of miles, and the light came right down. Now, what you're going to see here is God is making the first move. Jesus is in heaven, and he gets Saul's attention through this supernatural light. He gets his attention. Now, do you know, as we go through this, as you live as a Christ follower, God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to get our attention. That's because he loves us. Now, watch what happened. Damascus was about 140 miles. It was north of Jerusalem. It would have taken Saul at least a week to get there. And, and he made the journey. Some people think, well, he made it on a horse. No, not a mule. No, he made it by foot. He walked that whole time for a week. Now, Damascus, the reason he's going there is, over time, you remember what happened in Jerusalem. The Christians were being persecuted. So many of them says, I'm leaving Jerusalem. And they went to Damascus to try to save their lives. The problem was, Saul knew that had happened. So he's going to go, as you already heard, he's going to go to out of the country of Israel. And he's going to go to Damascus. And, and basically what he's going to do there, he's going to know that there's Christians there. And he's going to go there and all of a sudden go, gotcha, gotcha. Thought you could get away? No, no, no. I'm here to persecute you even in Damascus. Now, all of a sudden, when this light came, everything went stop. Saul goes, okay, what, where's that light from? What's happening? Well, when you see what's happening, here's, let me tell you up front what Jesus' solution was. Here it is. God is going to stop Saul's mission of death and change his mission to sharing the gospel of Jesus to give people the new birth experience. Now look at verse 4 and 5. When that light came, he fell to the ground, shocked by that light, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, 
Saul, why do you persecute me? Here's Saul's answer. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Here was Jesus' response. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, to persecute Christians, Christ followers, is to persecute Jesus himself. He's trying to think to himself, well, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? I never even met you. What are you talking about? But we know through the scripture, the Bible reminds us that every Christ follower is part of the body of Christ. So we're family. Christ is our head. We are the members that make up this body. So when you persecute a Christian, you're persecuting persecuting Jesus himself. Now, it's hard to imagine how this interplay of back and forth talking to Jesus, who's in heaven. It's, it's difficult for us to even understand. Remember what he believed. He believed Jesus died on the cross, and he was a dead man, and he was in some grave somewhere in Jerusalem. Remember, the tomb was empty, but the rumor was, ah, he's dead, we buried him somewhere else, the disciples took the body, and he's, so he absolutely believes. And, but now what is he doing? What is he doing? Let me, let me show you kind of what he's doing. He, he's on his back. He's on his back, and he's looking up into heaven, and he's talking to someone who's dead. But he isn't dead. Jesus is alive, and he is in heaven where he said he was going to. What do you think that's doing to Saul? Whoa, you got my attention. So he's beginning to think, Uh uh-oh, something in my life isn't right. It just isn't right. Now, here's what you have to think is going through Saul's mind. Okay, from heaven, there's a light. Knock me down. I'm down on on my back. I'm looking up and having a communication with somebody that I said was dead. He's there. He knows my name. Now, What is Paul thinking? Okay, what's God going to do to me? What's Jesus going to do to me now? Uh, he, He thought he had been working for God. Seriously. He was a Jewish person who believed in Yahweh. He thought he was working for God. But now when he's talking to Jesus, who's alive, resurrected from the grave, went to heaven, he has to face the fact that he's actually all this time been working against God. Here's a point that I want you to see. It's huge. Look at this. A person can be very sincere in their beliefs and yet be totally wrong. That's why we have all these different beliefs all through the world. Sex, cults, all kind of things that worship idols and those things just kind of like it was in the Old Testament. All these things that aren't true. You see, they mean well, but they're in darkness. They don't know the truth. That's exactly where we find Saul. He, he's a believer in God, but not in Jesus. He's in the dark. Now, Saul knew, there's three words I'm going to use right here. Justice, mercy, and grace. Saul knew He deserved justice. In other words, getting what he deserved. 
whatever Jesus is going to do to him, well, he deserves it because he's 100% wrong. And he's been killing the family of God. Second, he's filled with sin. He was a murderer of so many Christians, and he hated the one he's talking to, Jesus. He's probably asking in his mind, I know I, I, I'm going to get justice somehow. We gave justice, baby. We gave justice, and I just found it all around. I took care of those people, except I was wrong the whole time. Even Stephen when I clapped that they were stoning him, I was wrong. Stephen was right. Jesus was the Messiah. So the second thing he's thinking, could Jesus give me some mercy? Not getting what I deserved? I'll take that. But here's what he discovers. Saul knew he didn't deserve to be forgiven. There's no way Jesus is going to forgive him. But Saul noticed something. He didn't make the first move. God made the first move with the lightning, the lightning coming right from heaven, and speaking to him his personal name. So Jesus takes the first step for one reason. He doesn't know what it is. It's to change the life of Saul from a horrible sinner to a believer in Jesus. This encounter with Saul on his back, looking up, is called a picture of grace. Of grace. Let me show you two things. It's good to remind ourselves. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Many people will call it like this. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. There isn't a person that I'm talking to, there isn't a person that's a Christ follower can brag about something you or I did so that we became a Christian. Not a chance. No one can earn their salvation. It's a gift from God. And, you know, the world keeps thinking the same old lie from Satan. If you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. Impossible. Impossible. Only forgiven people go to heaven. You, you will never get there. And so he has to get that through because, really, Saul is big into the law. So he's got to get it through. Grace came when Jesus came. Now, how do I know that this salvation is a gift from God? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God loved us before we knew him. The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were yet in our sins. That's exactly a picture of Saul. He made fun of Jesus dying on the cross. But he was dying while we were still in our sins. Here's a huge point for some of you. If you are a Christ follower today, it's because you personally received God's gift of grace. Gift of grace. Getting a gift we never deserve. No Christian. It's a gift from God. Now, why is God a God of grace? Why, is, why isn't he a God of justice or mercy even? Why, why is he a God of grace? Here's the answer. Second Peter 3.9. 
The Lord is not willing that any perish, but should come to repentance. See, that's God. He wants everybody to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ so he can spend it time in heaven. And Saul doesn't know it, but he's going to be one that's going to expand the kingdom of God like nobody ever saw before. Now, Paul, when he finally got through with this, he would write so much. If you just take a look at the books he writes in the New Testament, like just like two-thirds of the New Testament books, when you watch him, he's always talking about one thing. You know what? Grace. 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 Let me read it to you. Acts 20, 24. However, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He could never get that out of his heart. He knew he would have been killed, dead, gone to hell forever, except for that amazing encounter he had with Jesus from heaven, Jesus making the first move. Now, when Saul received grace from Jesus, he wanted to share that as he moved on and started churches, planted churches, moved out. He wanted the truth. He wanted to share the truth that, look, if God forgave me, he can forgive you of anything. I don't care about your background. Jesus didn't care about my background. He forgave every sin. Everything I did that was totally wrong. And so he loved this. And this is why he wrote, you know this verse by heart, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Saul wrote that himself. Why would he do that? He wants to say to people that he's witnessing to, well, I'll never be able to come to Christ. You're, you're such an amazing God uh, guy, Saul, man. Look at your wisdom. You preach the gospel. You know Jesus. You know the word, whatever. I don't even know about God. I don't think there even is a God. And God, I have no chance to come. He goes, no, 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 no. Forget it. Remember in Ephesians, he talks about this? We, once we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's everybody. And then when you get down a few more verses, but God. What is God but God? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We were changed forever. It's, it's called the before and the after. I'm not talking about a facelift. Some of you ladies, just be quiet. Some of you guys, you like muscles. Who is that guy up there? Well, I'll have that in heaven, but not here. But before and after, spiritually, is a sinner who's saved by, hello, grace. That's it. That's it. Now, what this says in verse Acts 9-6, I'm going to read the New, James, uh, New King James Version. Look at it. I have it up there for you. So trembling and astonished, he said basically, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, look, it's a conversation from heaven. You know, we just saw this rocket go up today. And they got all this conversation back and forth. It was a beautiful thing. It was fantastic. This is Jesus in heaven. He doesn't need any of that. He's just talking right to him. And, and Saul is talking right back to him. He says, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise, get off your back, and go into the city. 
and you will be told, watch this, what you must do. Whoa. Now, notice in that verse, again, what does Saul say to Jesus? He doesn't say Jesus. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see it on the overhead what that means. Saul calls Jesus Lord. In the Greek, it's kurios, which simply means the owner and the master. So what do you see happening right there? Saul is submitting to Jesus as his master. Both of these are a great sign of true conversion. Now, let me ask you a question. I asked myself this this week as I was studying. Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord, the owner and master of your life? See, lots of people just want to have Jesus as a Savior. Oh, my sins are forgiven on the way to heaven, baby. Terrific. No, that's not the way it works. Jesus said, you got to follow me. You have to become like me. So just look at your life. I have to look at my life the same way. I want Jesus to be my Savior. He already is when I get saved. But as the discipleship moves, he has to be my Lord. He's my owner. We, our body is not our own. We are owned by Jesus. And we want the master. And that's why you see Saul, who never probably spoke like this before. What do you want me to do? In other words, I'll do it. You're my boss now. There's a salvation you can see for him. Now, this command is going to require one thing. Saul's trust doesn't even know Jesus, really, just having this experience now, and obedience. Once in the city, he will learn the next step. Just like I talked to you so many times, God often just gives us one step. Go into the city. That's it. Then Jesus said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Just the first step. So here it is. Now, he shares some details later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26. You see it on the overhead. I wanted to put it up there for a purpose. I'll read it slow. It'll be probably on two screens. Here it is. Now, get up. He's, he's, he's requoting what Jesus said to him. Now, get up and stand on your feet. See, he was down. He was not a horse. He fell down. I have appeared to you, watch the reason, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people, the dead religious Jewish. I will not only rescue you from your own people, but from the Gentiles. So you can see right there. There's going to be a moving in this life, and you'll see more next week as we finish this. The Gentiles weren't really a, basically witnessed to yet, the Jews first. Then we had the Samaritans, kind of a mixture. But he's saying to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles so that you would open their eyes from the darkness which is sin, to light, which is salvation. And from the power of Satan, remember, an unbeliever is under the power of Satan. If you're not a Christian tonight, you say, oh, I'm not under the power of Satan. Sorry. Yes, you are. So was I. We all were. Notice, 
and to, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith in me. Now, verse 7 tells us what really happened with the guys that were traveling with Saul. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't recognize what that was about. They didn't see anybody. Now, they know he was having a conversation, or they're thinking, man, he is really off his rocker here. Look at verse 8. So what's Saul going to do with Jesus saying, go into Damascus? Here it is. Saul got up from the ground. Now, this is a shocker. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, I want you to pay attention to me for a moment. Saul had been walking in spiritual darkness. He had great sight. He had no problem, physical sight. He had been walking in spiritual darkness. But now that he's become a Christian, he is walking in spiritual light, but physically, he's in the darkness. It's kind of a before and after to remind him there was a change in his life. And he's got a reason. He can't do his own thing now. He's got to be helped into Damascus. Now, isn't it interesting? Look at this verse. Paul wrote this later. Look what he writes in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness. In other words, in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. What is that? That's his personal testimony. Over and over and over again. Darkness to light. Before, after. Grace. Deserve justice. I get grace. Before and after. Now, look at verse 9. For three days he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. So Saul heads into Damascus. A total different plan than he ever thought. Remember what his whole goal was? He's heading to Damascus to get those Christians... Get them tied up, kill a few, bring back, get them punished. Now, that's all gone. You see, when God changes us, he gives us different plans. It's a whole different plan. He doesn't know. He's blind. He's waiting three days. He doesn't eat. He fasts for those times. Now, God has given him that time to begin to reflect. I won't talk about it this weekend, but I will talk about next weekend. What do you think Paul excuse me, Saul, who's going to become Paul, what do you think he's praying during those three days? It'd be interesting just to talk about, wonder what he was really saying to God. Now, he's no longer ruling his life because he's obeying God. He's submitted to Jesus, his owner and his master. And he also realizes the only reason he got there was the grace of God. God changed his evil plans, and you're going to see into great plans. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, while Saul is, is fasting and praying, can't see, God has another plan. Now, this to me is the supernatural picture of our God. Here's, watch my hands, here's Saul. He's going to Damascus. He's sitting there for three days. He's sitting right there for three days. God in the background, watch me, He's talking to a young man named Ananias. 
And he's begin to talk to him. Now, Saul, eventually Paul, is a scholar. He's brilliant. He's everything. Over here is Ananias. He's just an ordinary believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'll see he's scared out of his mind. And God has a plan for him. Do you know what? After this, we never hear of him again. We never see of him again. But did exactly what God wanted him to do. I'm sure he served God. But here we go. Watch what happens. Here's, here's Saul here. He's there. He can't see. He's waiting three days. Here's Ananias. And watch the, watch the thing that he has because he's going to get a vision from God. Take a look at this. By the way, I want you to write this. God loves ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's, by the way, if you have somebody next to you, just say to them, you're ordinary because we're all just ordinary. The one that's great is God. He's supernatural. Notice that as I read this verse, look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. God knew his name. He had already planned this. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Now, different than Saul, what's he respond? Yes, Lord. He's not just a person that has a Savior. He has a Lord. His name is Jesus. So that vision comes. Acts 22 says, this guy, Ananias, is a devout believer. He's respected highly. He's not a deacon. He's not an apostle. He's simply a normal Christ follower. Now, he's sensitive to the voice because he says, yes, Lord, what do you need in this amazing vision he has from God? Supernatural, obviously. Verse 11, then the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul because he is praying. I love that. God already knows what he's doing. He's praying. He knows that's there. So he gives direction. You know, notice in this verse 11, this isn't the updated version of the Bible. He didn't say, get your Google out, get the map, and I'll show you how to get there. No, you're going to watch what he does. He gives him exactly the, the instructions. Now, verse 12. In a vision, he has seen a man. Now, this is, this member over here is Saul. He's by himself. Notice it says, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, he has a vision. we got two visions. But good news is coming. Notice the specific instructions. Go to the house of Judas, who lives in, in that street. Notice that God has given a confirming vision to Saul. He knows that there's a man coming. You know, this guy, he's never met Ananias. Ananias has never really met Saul, but you're going to see he's afraid. Watch this. Verse 13, Lord Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man. In fact, he was just on the television news tonight. This guy is a killer. And he said, all the harm he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. And really, you want me to go one-on-one -on -one with this guy? Verse 14. And he goes on. And he says, and he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who can call your name. Hello, God. I'm one of them. Really? You want me to go? Now, Saul has a dangerous reputation, of course, in Damascus. Ananias knows the plan of Saul to do exactly what he'd heard about. 
He's not refusing to go, but he's asking God, did I hear you correctly? You know, when we hear God speak to us, and he does, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He speaks to us. Normally, he speaks to us through the word of God. And then he speaks through the Holy Spirit, those inner promptings. And of course, you're seeing here that he can speak through visions and he can speak through other Christians. So Ananias is saying, did I hear you correctly? Now, why would he say that? Because he's a believer and he knows this. There's lots of voices out there. Satan is a great deceiver. Satan is a great deceiver. And he can deceive us. And he's wondering, is, that, is this vision and go to see him like I'm going to get killed? Is that from, uh, it ain't for me. Is that from you, God, really? Or is that from Satan? Now, when you see that happening, watch this. Um, when a person has this going, he's probably thinking in his mind, <laughs> okay, that's got to be God. That's got to be God. So he's going to do one thing. I want to know your will, God. And so this, he simply does this. I know, God, that's what you want me to do. Now, how does he know that? Watch verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, this is his assurance. This man is my chosen instrument. And now he's thinking, really? To carry my name <clears throat> before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him, interesting, how much he must suffer for my name. So there's basically the will of God, the purpose that God is bringing Saul into Paul because he's going to use him to expand the kingdom of God in a way like no other we see in the New Testament. Do you know what that says here? God already had a plan for Saul. Saul didn't know it. Ananias didn't know it. But God had a plan for him. And now God has a plan for Ananias. He's going to strengthen him. He's going to use him when he never thought this could happen. Now, notice, sometimes you and I, and I'll develop this more next week, look at this next statement. God has a specific plan for every Christ follower, for your life. Now, if you're not a Christian, oh, he's got a plan for you, but his first plan is to become a Christian. But he won't have a plan for you until you become a Christian. That's what happened to Saul. He had a plan for him from the beginning, but he never served Christ. He never submitted his life. Now that he has, aha, the plan I have for you, you didn't know it, but it's been in my mind from the day you were born. Now, how do I know his plans for us? Every one of us, you know this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you plans of hope and a future. Now look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. How do you think Ananias went into the house? Hey, I'm here. Did you have a dream about me, please, hopefully? Well, maybe I would do that for sure. But he's kind of stepped out in faith because he knows God had already spoke to him a confirmation. Yes, I told you. Here's what I want you to do. So he went into the house and he placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother 
Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the robe as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldly, Ananias obeys God. He goes and he places his hand on Saul. And basically, you know, when you see that, he knows this is Saul. And look in that verse. When he comes in to the house, look what it says there. Look at verse 17. Placing his hands on Saul, he said to Saul. Now, this is the Balmer translation. I don't know why I'm here to speak to a murderer and an angry man, but no, that's not what he says. When he puts his hand on Saul, you know what he says to him? Brother, you're part of our family. I can't believe it, but you're part of our family. You're my brother. We have the same father. We're sons and daughters of God. Now, he recognized that he's a believer. Another proof that Saul had already been born again. Now, that's why the Bible says this. By the way, Paul wrote this too. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a believer, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Saul, the old is going to be gone. And the new has come. There we go again, before and after. He's a perfect picture of that. Remember, Anna and I, says, I've come to do two things. Open your blinded eyes. Remember, physically, he could see before. But now he's spiritually blind, but now he has physical and spiritual perfect sight. Then he said, I'm here to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would he do that? Who is the role model for that? Jesus. When he came, was water baptized, he was filled with the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit, and he ministered in the Spirit. So he knows that's going to happen. Can I just remind you, you and I will never fill God's, fill, fulfill God's plan and that's we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how much, how much Paul writes about the Holy Spirit? Just go to Ephesians chapter 5. You'll see it. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we can't finish the purpose that God has for us. So that's why God said to Ananias, put your hands on him, pray for him, that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's healed supernaturally. Look at verse 19. So immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, so he could see again. He got up, was baptized in water, and after taking Siphon, he regained his strength and spent some several days, and we'll talk about this next week, uh, with the disciples in Damascus. Now, remember what our title is this whole week. It is, is it, it's not possible, or is it? The answer, yes. All things are possible with God. Take a look at this. No person is beyond the reach of God's grace. If anyone would have been beyond the reach, that would have been Saul. But no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Here's what Jesus told us. Luke 1.37. For nothing is impossible with God. That's why you and I want to be praying for our neighbors and friends and relatives that you think, well, 
just never will happen. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Nothing's impossible with God. Be inviting them to our services, even online. Just talking to them. Don't push them. Pray for them. Because nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing. Now, today we saw Saul had a personal encounter with Jesus that changed his whole life. God's grace gave Saul, who eventually will be Paul, a brand new start in his life. Some of you who are watching from locally or uh, out of the country or different states, wherever, you have learned a few things about God. Nothing's impossible with God. Like Saul, some of you are ready to ask God to make the biggest change in your life. You may know about God, but you don't know God personally. The only way you can know God personally is have a relationship with Jesus Christ, becoming your Savior first and then your Lord. Now, the only way to be forgiven of your sins, you know, is to ask Jesus Christ to come. Only forgiven people go to heaven. You don't have to worry about your sins. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about any of that. When Saul came, I'm sure he repented. We'll see more of that next week in his prayers too. And God just forgave him all of his sins. He got a clean slate to start over brand new. That's grace. He didn't deserve it. And I just want to challenge you. You can put your trust and faith in God in Jesus, just like Saul did. And you will be born again. You will have a brand new start in your life. And you will have the guarantee of going to heaven forever. And one more thing. Some of you used to follow God. But you kind of got off track. And you backslid. It's time for you to come back to God. You've been miserable. I know you won't admit it to a lot of people, but inside you know. You lost the peace. You lost the joy. You lost the excitement of following Jesus Christ. Well, I know what happens because I've been doing this for many, many, many years. When a person walks away from God and gets on another road doing their own thing, Satan will always come back and condemn you. And here's what he's been saying to you. God will never forgive you. Man, you're going to get justice. He will never forgive you of your sins. Let me remind you of one thing. Satan is a liar. So tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer for those who have never come to Christ and you want to become a Christian tonight and you want to have a before and after in your life. And for those of you that need to make a recommitment, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Just pray that prayer. God's grace will apply to your life just like a person that has never come because you're going to do one thing. You're going to repent and you're going to ask God. To, again, once again, uh, God, I'm putting my faith in you. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I want you to receive God's free gift of salvation. Paul wrote this verse as well. Look at this verse. That if you confess with your mouth, it's exactly what Saul did. Jesus is what? Lord, not just my Savior. I will follow him. He's my owner. He's my boss. And believe in your heart. Watch what you have to believe. 
that God raised him from the dead. Exactly what Paul said. No way. Now he goes, ah, wait, I was wrong. You will be saved. If you want your sins forgiven and know that you will have eternal life in heaven, bow your head and quietly say this prayer wherever you're at. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And right now, I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Please come in and change my life. I want a life that changed radically, just like Saul. A brand new slate, a brand new beginning. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. And today I receive your gift of salvation. And I look forward to a life of freedom and forgiveness, security, purpose, and hope. And I know it's because of your grace. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen.